Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Joe and we're going to talk about embedded finance and we are going to travel to snowy Minnesota, right? So let's talk about embedded finance, what's going on in the US when it comes to this. I'm very curious to find out what's the update because it's been a hot topic for quite a while, but let's see where we are today. So welcome, Joe. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Rudy, and thank you for having me. Likewise, so looking forward to it. Please tell us first and foremost, how did you get to do what you do these days, Joe? I run a company called Justify Technologies, and our purpose is to accelerate potential, and we do that by really accelerating the embedded finance potential other software companies. But I had a very curious road on how I got here, actually. I grew a company prior to this, which did have a software component that was very material, but it was actually in the childcare space. So you could say I w- I'm remarkably unqualified to run an imbi- embedded finance software company. That seems to be the case, right? People start with other things. And I think maybe the key is that you were a founder before. But let's talk about embedded finance or embedded fintech first. What's the status quo these days? How would you describe it? How is the embedded fintech world evolving? I think that it, it is evolving, first of all, and it's it's evolving at such a rapid pace. And there are so many different tools that are out there today that it's difficult, I think, to really get one's head around the buzzwords that are out there embedded finance and fintech. And when you when we look at one of the many famous quotes that Mark Andreessen of the, the famed venture capitalist said that, and I'll paraphrase, every company will be a fintech company or said differently, every company will, every software company and other company will harness the power of embedded finance. That's great. But how? And there's so many different layers. So I think unpacking that and applying it to a specific use case or, or to if my company, if I'm someone who's trying to, to agree with that, is, is a challenge that companies have today. Right. In this podcast, we take fintech very widely. So I think every company is a fintech company, but life sciences, perhaps, unless you talk about financing some research, pharma research or something like that. But good point about the buzzwords. Maybe let's define it first before we go forward. So what is the embedded finance or embedded fintech to you? What does that mean? Yeah, I think in its simplest form, it is um, taking the different financial instruments, tools, products, and applying them into an ecosystem. So for us at Justify, 
we serve vertical SaaS platforms. Okay, what's that? We're laying buzzwords on top of buzzwords. So platform, we came, my partners and I both grew software platforms or ecosystems. And a lot of times in the vertical space, you'll have famous company recently in the US that has used this strategy is Toast that went public. So they provide software and some hardware for restaurants. Great. And they can charge a SaaS fee or software as a service. And that's usually when the story ends for most, or at least historically has ended for software companies. But harnessing the power of embedded finance or executing a SaaS plus playbook means what else could you sell? What products could you launch that add value to that ecosystem that have a embedded finance nature? So an example of that would be if you're, it would be payments, processing and monetizing payments. That's the most common today, but then offering loans. So let's use that toast example again. They process the payments. So if you're if you want to get takeout from your favorite restaurant and they use their software, Toast is making money on that funds flow or that payment. They're also offering loans to the restaurant, short-term capital needs. They're, they also can offer card issuing and vendor management and insurance. And the list goes on and on. And so every one of those products is under the category of embedded finance or fintech. So it's really about, one, understanding the most broadest of topic and then getting narrow, more narrow and more narrow and then answering the question, how could I harness this power? How do I serve this broader ecosystem if you're a software company and bring those things that your customers or your customers' customers are spending money on inside of your platform. So that's a great example with the restaurants and the payments. I also talked about somebody to somebody about investments. So people read and follow certain bloggers and get investment ideas somewhere. And you can embed basically your investment or trading platform right there where the ideas are, right? So what you're saying is you can embed a fintech layer to where the customers are of any business, right? That's right. That's right. And my my partners in Justify started and grew a sports tech software platform. So in that use case, it was very similar to the Toast example. They provided software for youth sports organizations, organizations that oftentimes managed football, hockey, so on and so forth. Well, those organizations are their software did things like team management and rostering and communicating schedules. Where do I go? That sort of thing. Very convenient for parents. And when you think about that, they would charge between $500 to maybe $5,000 a year to use that software. And it's really hard to build a billion-dollar company if that's – you have to have a lot of sports organizations and parents using your platform. But if you step back and say, if – those organizations are using the software day in and day out. And those parents are using the software to manage their children's sports schedules day in and day out. What else are they, where else is the money that's outside of the app, outside of the ecosystem? So by bringing those products in app or into the ecosystem, that would be harnessing the power of embedded finance. So 
My partners did that. They embedded and monetized payments. They embedded and monetized insurance. They embedded and monetized lending and vendor management and card issuing. And when it was all said and done, there was $10 billion, because it turns out that ice hockey and football are very expensive, that flowed in and around inside of their platform and that they monetized. And they essentially expanded the total addressable market and therefore the value of their company by 10x if they would have just been in the software business. Right. So these are great examples, food and sports tech. And you answered what I wanted to ask next, which is if I'm a founder, where should I start when thinking about adding a fintech layer to my platform or to my business? How should I actually go about it? So conceptually, it's clear that there are some flows outside of my platform. I need to make sure that I actually manage those and I take a cut of this because I'm bringing value to these members or to my clients. But in practical terms, if you paint the picture, how should I get going? How should I get started? And that's a great question. And it's one that I think is full of a lot of twists and turns and oftentimes, you know, you know, dated conventional wisdom and dead ends. I think the first thing to think about is to think about the end in mind, to say where, how big could this get? Because it, this is a this is an additional business. This is an expertise. If someone is in the business of software, what they typically do is they have a strategy and, and tech for each function of their business. So sales, you would hire a team, you have a strategy, and you use some tech to go be successful at sales. Product, you have a team, a product and engineering team, you have a strategy, and you have tech that you implement. So embedded finance is the same thing. You need to have a strategy, and it's one that that strategy asked a couple of questions. Where are we today? Where do I think or where do I want to be? And what needs to happen for that to happen? So I would say that what we learned in our journey and really why we created Justify is to provide that tech, that strategy, and actually the team. We have a, an engaged team that supports platforms because by making some of the easy and sometimes wrong decisions early on, platforms who are working on embedded finance as a side project, what they find out is that they often get single threaded with one provider and it really limits their potential in the future. So I would say is it, it, it needs to be a mindset shift. Any big opportunity isn't easy, right? But you need to have the right strategy, you need to have the right team, and you need to have the right tech. Right. So I like that, but uh, let's move on and follow up on what you're saying on your website, which is that payment platforms take too much value from the customers they serve and you are different. So first and foremost, how and why, but second, let's also talk about end consumers, right? Because now you told me that I'm a part of a hockey club or I'm a parent and a lot of money go through that association or club and uh, the club is trying to monetize those payments, that's good for them. But what's in it for me, right? I need to have money in yet another wallet. We have already so many apps and so many wallets. Do I want to have another one? So let's maybe start with end consumer. And then let's talk about why payment platforms are not providing the greatest solution to the customers as well. That's sure. Great. Happy to do so. I mean, I think that 
It's a good point. Anytime someone, anytime a software platform or a company decides to turn on an embedded finance product, it needs to start with adding value to their end consumer. You don't just get to make money on the flow of money without you know, giving some value. So it's important. That's where you need one needs to take the general of the buzzwords of invited finance and fintech and then bring it into their world and specifically think about what do they have the right to to do for their customers? You know, what value are they adding, you know, that to the end consumer? And maybe it's not price. You know, maybe charging 3% for a payment is market for a very small transaction. Maybe that's not it, but maybe it makes those customers easier, their lives easier, or by offering real-time lending inside of a platform, it saves, it, it, it increases the speed in which that small business or that consumer can get access to credit. So it, it all starts with adding value to the end consumer. Absolutely. So that's the answer I was going for, right? So they don't exist here to make you rich. They have their own problems. And if you provide a good solution, maybe they let you get the cut out of that value create for them. So That's right. But I think especially for platforms that become the system of record, this is more, and it's not just in restaurants or sports tech, really name any industry and you can find multiple software platforms that those businesses are using to interact with their customers. By launching the right oftentimes bespoke custom embedded finance products for their consumers, embedded products inside of a vertical software platform by their nature are adding value in many cases, and in almost all cases, I would say, to the end consumer because more and more, to your point, more and more people want to work inside of one platform. They don't want to have to, if I'm working inside of a software platform, if the rates are similar, of course. I don't want to have to go outside of my, any a platform to do my payments over here and my lending over here and my insurance over there. If you could offer it in one place, that's pretty convenient. That's how we went from having the butcher down the street and the bread shop to the supermarket. So coming back to that point about payment platforms, though, taking too much value. So how are you different? How do you help your clients to be different? We work specifically with vertical SaaS providers to help them launch and monetize these embedded finance products in their ecosystem. So we just, we came from that world in the sports tech and the childcare tech business. So we have a perspective that is, we believe that they're creating the value and in building that ecosystem. And it's just a fundamental different viewpoint that we think that the price of a payment, what someone charges a payment acquire. We are a registered you know, payment facilitator. We help those vertical SaaS platforms really make fintech or make embedded finance possible. And payments is one way we do that. And we just decide to charge less than a lot of the others. We believe that the cost of a payment should be based on how much it actually costs, not how large the software platform is. The payments world is a bit of a, a pay-to-play sort of world, is that you really don't start getting really good pricing in many cases until you're hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And we believe that's something that should change. We don't think that that's right. One way that we lower the cost of payments is by constantly challenging how much it should cost. Interchange and the cost, it, the payment system is an 
a guilty until proven innocent world, meaning you don't really know what it's going to cost until a transaction's completed. The only other place in the world that's like that is the United States healthcare system. So we believe that the pricing should be transparent, it should be fair, and it should be one of the tools in the toolbox to help these platforms realize their fintech potential. Right. So let's clarify, what is your solution or product and what is a service? Do you have a software that you reuse and then you provide some consulting services on top of it? Or how does that work? Yeah. So Justify as a Justify Technologies as a business, what we do is we help accelerate the potential of vertical SaaS platforms and specifically their embedded finance potential. So we do that one with our software platform. So our software platform it exists to give the data, we collect the data, and it's an orchestration layer that allows those vertical SaaS platforms to activate as many embedded finance products as possible using one vendor. So they sign up with us. Our Engage team, which is a tech-enabled service team, helps build that fintech strategy and then launches those products. Sometimes it's payments, sometimes it's insurance, sometimes it's lending. So our software platform or collects and reuses the customer onboarding data. And then we use that to orchestrate the best partners in the market to bring the greatest monetization and the greatest bespoke partners to bear for each software platform. So in other words, linking back to what we talked about earlier, we provide the team, we provide the strategy, and we provide the tech. I see. So let's talk a little bit more about the tech, right? What is your technology angle? What are we talking about here? Are we talking about automation? Are we talking about platforms simplifying so we, kind of a kind of API connecting complicated platforms or what? Yeah. So it we have the Justify platform is a modern REST API platform that essentially makes embedded finance possible. Because to our earlier question, like, what is it and what does it mean to me? And that's a question that we just, we started off our conversation with. And so many platforms who are busy building their own product and acquiring and keeping existing customers that we saw a gap in the market of someone to really be a trusted partner. So our technology is a modern REST API that is a sub-account architecture that it is a uh, orchestration layer that links to many other partners like lenders, insurance providers, ex- payment providers, etc. And his purpose is to be a one-stop orchestration layer that allows software platforms to control and reuse their onboarding KYC data because that capturing that from their customers is, is a challenge and then brings those products to bear in a much faster period of time than if they would custom build each of them and integrate them with all of those partners themselves. Yeah, I see. We talked about SaaS businesses and different verticals. Can you give us a little bit more of a color on this? What are the examples? We talked about sports tech, the food business, anything else, or what is really the priority here? Do you have a preferred sectors where it's the easiest for you to do business or how does that work? Sure. The sec- we're really sector agnostic, but we focus on working with those vertical SaaS platforms. So it's typically a B2C relationship. So you have a software business, that's who our customer would be. And then they have a customer who utilizes their software. And then 
So let's say that's a business. And then and then they also have a customer. Think of it like a three-legged stool. So you have a software company. Let's say we have a company in the wedding venue management. So let's say you have a barn or you have a brewery and you want to you want to rent out, you have space to rent. You would use their software to manage that business. And then their software goes to the brewery or the wedding venue. And then they have customers as well, the people getting married. So in that instance, you will be able to collect payments. And then that software platform who uses us would be able to monetize those payments. They would be able to provide event insurance and they would be able to monetize that. They would be able to provide lending because oftentimes weddings are seasonal in many parts of the world. So once you have the data, if you're able to use it, you're able to then know to an earlier question that we had, what products would that end consumer or that business on the platform be most interested in? And that's really where embedded finance comes to life, where you're really adding value to all parties in the chain. All right, understood. So I think this is pretty clear, but how does that work these days? Or maybe do you have an advice for fintech founders who haven't experienced a recession yet? Because of course, anywhere in the world, we're having a tough year or tough times. So how do you keep on growing your business in a tough economic environment? I think that for our customers, you know, back to the payment side and new revenue streams, in challenging times, those moves are valued even more in so much as if you can save it's a dollar saved as a dollar earned and then activating new revenue streams inside of your software platform is more important today than ever because it could mean the difference between positive or not it could be the difference between getting funding or not what we find a lot in talking to many software platforms when we start talking about embedded finance everyone likes to say oh yes, that's on the roadmap. That's something that we're going to do. But rarely do we run into folks that are actually have a plan that is less than six months in front of them on how to do these things. So by activating new revenue streams in, in these hard economic times sooner, it can mean for more cash flow, more sticky of a product, and ultimately building a more valuable company or asset. So I think that's why it's of particular importance these days. Right. So diversifying, finding more revenue streams, and that's also relevant for any business, not just a vertical SaaS business. All right. All clear from my side. So moving on to the final two questions, really. What is your favorite business book that you could recommend if you have one? Some people say, oh, in my field, things are moving so quickly. Any book would be outdated by now. But do you have anything timeless or any other resource for learning that you can recommend? Uh, I have so many. I would say that one of the things, particularly for startups, that's, that is good. I think having an operating system is of importance. How are you running your business? How are you are communicating? Where are we today and where are we going? A book called Traction by Gino Wickman is something that I used in a prior 15 plus years ago. And that's especially for young startups. I think some of the business systems, the KPIs, some of the other books that are out there are a little bit hard to implement with small teams. So I would recommend that for the founders out there. All right. Wonderful. Great stuff. What would be the best way for people to get in touch with you and find out more about Justify AI 
Yeah, great. Our website's a great place to start. It's J-U-S-T-I-F-I dot A-I, or you can find me, Joe Keeley, on LinkedIn as well. Well, great stuff, and uh, good luck to you, Joe, and uh, keep in touch. Thanks so much, Rudy. Be well. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.